Hi, I'm Richard Metcalf, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. I'm Mike Vardy, and I'm joined on this episode by Richard Medcalf. We talk about his book, Making Time for Strategy. We get into the idea of firefighting. We talk about the idea of maybe the phrasing that you're using when it comes to freeing yourself from obligations. We talk about obligations versus commitments and maybe the the paradox that can occur there. A lot of stuff as we make our way through the book. Richard, by the way, he describes himself as a what you get if you were to put a McKinsey consultant, a slightly unorthodox pastor, and an entrepreneur into a blender. He's the founder of X Quadrant and a trusted advisor to exceptional CEOs and entrepreneurs and their leadership teams. It was a fantastic conversation. I literally just got off the call with him, and I know that we could have gone on much longer but uh, we wanted to distill the essential elements that I found when I went through the book. Uh, and I think we did that. You be the judge, though. Here's my productive conversation with Richard Medcalf. Enjoy. Richard, thank you for joining me on the program today. Really excited to have you here. We're going to make time to have this conversation to talk about a book. It's called Make Time for Strategy. Um, and literally, yeah. as we're recording this, so this, this episode is recorded a good 60 days in advance. This is the day the books come out. So my first question out of the gate, which is probably not something, probably one you've heard is, um, but I'm going to talk about it from the author's perspective. How does it feel to know that what you've put out, like what you've been combining and compiling and writing is now no longer in your hands, but is in the hands of those that are reading it? Because once, you know, as an author, once you put it out into the world, it's no longer really yours 100%. You know what I mean? How does that feel? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, uh, I just did a webinar about an hour ago on the book. And again, there was all this conversation. I couldn't even see the conversation because there were so many people and I was focused on doing my stuff. So there was a conversation there that was happening I didn't know about. And then I just looked on Amazon. There's already a few reviews that's popped up. Um which again, I don't even know who these people are. And that's quite weird because as a consultant and a coach, you know, working with high-level leaders, it's all very intimate, really. And it's a small circle uh, of people that I work with at a deep level. And so whilst I guess in my previous days as a consultant or whatever, I've written reports and that kind of thing, again, they weren't public in that same way. So it's quite, yeah, it's an interesting feeling. I think you described it really well, actually, that it's no longer in my hands, right? It's an independent entity. Well, and, and I think that aligns itself well with the idea of strategy because you can put strategy in place and then you have to deal with the ebbs and flows and the other dynamics that show up. What I liked about what you put in the book was that you you made, you try to create a frame, framing devices, not just one, but several to kind of keep people anchored, right? To give them waypoints to say, okay, you know what, if things get hairy or messy, here's something you can try in this instance. And here's something you can try in this instance, which is why you address this right out of the gate in the book. Like, you know, this book, you can read it several ways, right? You know, and I, and I read it because of our conversation from cover to cover. And you, you I mean, I live in this world just like you do. So it was, it was very, I was not quote overwhelmed or, um, feeling like, wow, this is a lot for me to digest all at once, which I, I can imagine. And and as a consultant, mm. it's the same thing. It's not like you're going to go, right. here's everything. And then they're like, whoa. No. So can we address kind of the way that you either a would read the book, you know, as mm. someone, because you, what they say, you write the book that you want to read, right? So how right. would you look at it? And then secondly, yeah. it'll be interesting 
over time, which you can't answer right now, how others choose to read the book. So can you, can we yeah. discuss this a little? Yeah, absolutely. So again, the, obs- um, so the, the book's organized around these four areas, right? This bother word time, which I was really happy about when I realized that what I did actually could be simplified in that way. <laughs> uh, because when you when you want to make time for strategy, and again, why did I even write the book? It's because when I'm working with when I was working with clients, I'm always about how do you play a bigger game? How do you create breakthrough results? That's what I love doing. How do you change the world? This is the questions I love to work on. Um, and yet the first conversation was always, Yeah, Richard, that's great. But you know, I'm just swamped in operations, I'm over busy, I, I can't, you know, I'd love mm-hmm. to get to this stuff, but that's not my world right now. And so and then it was always a question of, okay, well, let's dig into what's going on. And I found that there were these different elements. Now, each person had their own issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always really important to focus on the limiting factor. Right. Because um, I see it with, some with, with leaders. I see it even more with teams. Like, if you don't focus on the one thing that's really getting in the way, everyone gets bored. It's not working for me. It's not making, it's not moving the leader, needle. Mm-hmm. So I realized that sometimes often people rotate to productivity. Like I need to like get better filters on my Gmail or I need to, you know, improve my tagging on my app or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and that can have some help. Uh, but often leaders have done that stuff and they're still not feeling the benefit. And, and they're still overwhelmed and they've still got too much on their plate. And I describe it in the book as a world of infinity. And so that might not be the, so that's the tactical challenge, the T in time, if you like. Yep. Um, but then there's influence. Sometimes what we're actually missing is we know what we need to do, but we haven't persuaded the people around us to let us do it. As I say in the book, you know, the, if you go on a diet, the people that are going to hold you back are likely your family. Mm-hmm. They're going to offer you the chocolate cake uh, or complain when you go out with your running shoes because they want to hang out with you or want to eat chocolate cake with you. Or they're going to, or you're going to family meal plan and you're the outlier because you're not yeah, eating exactly. the same thing you they are. Less convenient. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That happens yeah, here and, all and, the time, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Around our house, it happens all the time. It, right. Yeah. Well, I speak from, yeah, experience <laughs> as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, and so in the business world, if we want to free up time for higher value activities, we're going to need to influence people differently. It's a leadership challenge. That's why you know, it comes out in these deep coaching conversations. Well, do you actually know how to persuade your boss that this meeting he wants you to go to is no longer relevant or, you know, help your team understand that these issues they're bringing to you, you know, in this ad hoc way or this unstructured way or whatever, it's not actually acceptable anymore mm-hmm. or how do you negotiate with your peers to to renegotiate oh you know actually this project and you've got me on all the time and i'm going to all these meetings i don't think i need to be there as much as you think these are the influence challenges that you need to deal with by the way i um, love the email templates that you put inside the book as well the ones that said here's an email you could try here's an email you could try that's 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 definitely like something that people are you know the 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 barrier the friction right the time uh, yeah. the, the finite element of time. If you can give yeah. them something like that, number one, it free, it, it gives them the capability of going, okay, well, I can just take this and modify it, adapt it for my right. situation. So I'm not creating it from scratch. But then secondly, it's almost like there's a permissiveness there. You know, not, you know, the idea of like, hey, it's, you're, please do this. So you're more than welcome to do this. And mm. the nuance, you brought this up. It's very subjective. So you're not going to send that necessarily that type of email 
to everyone because every relationship is different, different. and the influence yeah. level is going to be different and what needs influence. So it's the nuance is the, which as I think probably when we get into the M and the E, like all these things, it's the nuance that I think really matters in terms of how people approach, you know, this mm-hmm. book in particular, because yeah. if, if, it's not the content that's overwhelming. It's the nuance, I think, that people feel that they may need to add that could be overwhelming. Mm. And that's not to, I mean, like I said, I went through the book, loved loved mm. all the messaging. and But I think that that's the part which is hard to break. It's hard to break that bias. You talk about biases in this all the time. The idea of, um, I, I want to shift, I want to talk about this really quickly before we move into the other half of the acronym. Yeah. But you, you mentioned don't free yourself up from something Free yes. yourself up to or for something instead. And Ryder Carroll and I were talking about this on a, on a previous episode. We'll link to that episode in the show notes as well. But the idea of purpose versus productivity, you just mentioned. Mm. People lean into productivity because it's the default. Whereas purpose, I mean, productivity without purpose is doing productive, not right. being productive. So that, that was, a. I think not, not enough people think about that. People think in terms of I have to free myself up from this, I feel trapped yeah. by this, as opposed to embracing what they really want, need and want to do, right? It's because of it's because it's the pain point. The pain point, I've got all this stuff coming on my way. Um, and it's it's this trap. We get we kind of get this tunnel vision. Uh, it can feel good on one level because we're we're getting through our to-do list uh, or we're 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 making progress, we're adding value. But the big trap is that we, as we focus in and, and, and drive harder, we just miss these opportunities up to one side. I, you've probably seen that video on, on YouTube of the, the basketball match, right, where they're passing a basketball between the team. And mm-hmm. you've got to count how many times they pass the ball. And halfway through, the gorilla walks, a, gorilla, a guy in a gorilla costume walks through and you don't see it, right? Because you're too busy counting the balls yep. that are being passed. And it's this it's a classic thing. Like we feel we're being productive. We feel we're adding value we're driving hard and yet there are these big breakthrough opportunities that are just available if we we're able to stop and see them and that's really for me the heart of this i was thinking as i wrote the book is this am i getting kind of too in the detail writing them this small topic because i love working with leaders on these huge big breakthrough issues but i realized no no because you can't get to the other until you've dealt with the first you mentioned tiny moves you forward that's something that's in the book tiny so you what's interesting is you took like again those big goals you need to break them down so that people can make sense of them, right? Like it's it's right. often I find, I don't know if you find this, but when you're, when I'm working with someone or when I, you know, when I see someone's to-do list, there's often projects trying to masquerade as tasks on their list, right? And it's yeah. the same thing with habits, right? Like people, look, you know, follow through on my evening routine. I'm like, well, what is that? Oh, well, it's these five steps. Yeah, so you've got your habits hidden within that routine. And often it's just so... Uh, unintentional, but mm. the the subconscious is going, mm, like you said, these things are harder or challenging or the bias of if I break these things down into their smallest particles, I have more to do now. Not true. Right. It's a myth, right? Like it's just now you can see it all see and it you all. can see the yeah. things like the commitments that you make. You actually talk about uh, the commitment inventory in this, mm. which I love the idea of that because I think that the term commitment is a can be a fair weather term if it's not mm. you know what i mean like when people commit to something the idea of to commit 
I wonder if it started to lose its weight in all of the things that we're needing that, that we feel that we are needing to do. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, there's a phrase that somebody said to me, which is that most people are um, over ob- obligated and under committed. Right. Uh, yeah, th- that's a great way of putting it. Right. So um, when I'm working with clients, I really try to draw out from them. one of the things I want to draw out is, you know, what is the thing which you are, so, you know, so passionate about that you have to hundred exit. Like, what's the thing which is so exciting, which is so meaningful for you? Because we all chase the numbers and you know these kind of things, you know, with metrics and kind of get the buzz. But right, what's the thing at a deep level which is which is going to get you out of bed and you're going to stop at nothing to deliver? And normally, it's you've got to search a bit for that. But when you find it, boom. Well, and and this lends itself nicely as we go into the second half because. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. The, the, the thing between our ears is often the thing that keeps us and to be able to tap into that a little bit more. So can we, can we move forward with the, with the, yeah, the remaining so we got, aspects? So we got tactics. Yeah, we've got tactics and influence. And the next one is mindset. Um, you know, part of you wanted to start the book with mindset, but then the acronym wouldn't work. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> but, um, uh, <laughs> because mindset is so important because what we believe is important, necessary and desirable, the way we see the world, like that is the reality we live in and it defines everything. Mm-hmm. And it can be so hard to see beyond that. I mean, one of the, I mentioned in the book, one client uh, I was working with, was stuck in his inbox and, and not getting on those transformational projects because he felt that he was being trustworthy, uh, reliable and, and, and a team player by getting back to people, not being the bottleneck. And I understand that. But when I pointed out to him, when we worked together and he started to realize that his CEO was counting on him for these big transformational projects, his board were, his customers, um, the internal team, they all wanted these big projects to happen. I said to him, look, you're getting paid the, paid the big bucks for delivering on this. So I put it to you that you're actually being unreliable, untrustworthy, and not a team player when you're in your inbox. 
yep. doing the low level stuff. And it's like the one click and his whole world shifted. It didn't need then the productivity tips he thought he wanted to get from me. I explained to him that's, that was far too expensive for him to be telling him how to, you know, apply filters or whatever. It's, you know, it's amazing involved. though, right? Isn't it? It's the, it's the, I mean, I remember a number of years ago, I wrote a piece called What the Bleep Happened to Life Hacker. And a lot of the life hacks ended up being things that are just common sense or mm. nonsensical, like things that you're not going to need to necessarily worry about. And to me, like you said, it's it's the dopamine, right? Like it's those little bits of like, that's why Inbox Zero is so popular as it stands now. I mean, you mm. Merlin Man did not mean what, he, what Inbox Zero <laughs> is or has become when he coined the term, but it's those little bits of dopamine that you get from, Oh, I'm going to respond to this. I'm going to respond to that, but you can't get deep. You can't. And what I like about the fact that mindset actually comes third, there's a couple of things I like about it. Number one is you get into the tactical stuff right away, right? Like, like, which a lot of people want, they want that right away. But what yeah. I also like is that you understand the acronym time. Time isn't linear necessarily. And you right. mentioned that you could start in the book wherever you want. So yeah. if you want to start with mindset, you can, and then you can move well, on to, you know, I mean, you can move through the book as you see fit, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. So one of the, um, yeah, one of the things I do in the start of the book is I talk about these old, you know, books, you know, that we have a well, I had at least when I was a child, where you got to choose your own adventure, right? You got to choose which you mentioned page fighting fantasy, next. which is one that no one really which talks about, the, but I love that. That was like Dungeons oh, yeah. and Dragons meets that you had to have dice. So like, oh, I can't oh. read. You, so you you ended up so you know what I would do for those that don't know, we uh, I'll I'll see if we can link to fighting fantasy in the show notes because when we didn't have a die with us, we made one of those cootie catchers. So that way you could actually like, what number is it? And then it would randomly choose the number. So you would have one in your pocket at all times, which was like probably took more time to make, but at least you could have it with you, like folded up in your pocket as opposed to having a dice if you forgot to bring it with you. But those right. things, those, I loved that, that one. It was like, I was in a bard's tale and all that stuff. So the fact that you brought up fighting fantasy, choose your own adventure, I think is very like widely known. And we're seeing no, it. Fighting fantasy was better. I'm with you. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, totally, yeah. totally oh, better. Yeah. It was for like <laughs> us old, like for like, it, we aged into it. And then once we were there, we're like, Forget choose your own adventure. I got to go. But you're right. Like the idea of going through the book in that fashion, it was, yeah. it was um, inventive. It was, um, and it got you to where you wanted to go. I think that's the other thing too, right? Yeah. yeah so, so one thing I created um, on the, on the, I've got a website for the book. It's makingtimestrategy.com. And on there, there is actually a little assessment you can do that will act just like 20 questions or it's pretty quick. Um, takes a minute or so. What it does is it actually rates you, gives it like a, your overall score, where are you on this journey of being a strategic leader? And also across these four areas, where should you start? Like what's the limiting factor for you? You don't have to do that, but it can be quite helpful just to kind of get a sense of, you know what, like there's lots of things here on my mindset I want to work on. Or actually perhaps I need to get some tactical building blocks in place before we move forward. And what about and the so fourth, what about the fourth thing? The fourth thing that we haven't touched on yet. The, yeah, the we haven't talked about the fourth thing. So the fourth thing is actually quite important, although it gets a bit overlooked, which is which is environment. Because yeah, I work with very senior leaders. Some of them run billion dollar companies. Some of them run hyper growth startup uh, startups or uh, smaller businesses. Um, but any leader, no matter what level, has the responsibility not just to themselves making themselves productive, but actually creating an environment where their team 
is strategic and mm-hmm. focuses on what they need to focus on. Strategy is not just corporate strategy, it's what are our high value activities? What's strategic for us, right? What do we need to be working on? And so as he, and, and even practically as a leader, if if you're doing, if you've got stuff you want to delegate and your team has no capacity, you're stuck. So you have to help your team uh, get rid of their lower activities, mm-hmm. uh, make the hard choices. If they're saying yes to everybody because they've got some mindset thing about people pleasing, that's an issue because it's going to affect your ability to to pass on the work that matters. And so environment is really all about that culture change. How do I start to build a culture in my team or potentially my organization where we're not all just ricocheting off each other? Well, what doing I, firefighting. And what I like about, and now I want to touch on firefighting in just a second, but the idea of environment versus, say, atmosphere or culture, the thing about environment is that, number one, it changes. Number two, it's something you can, there, there's something more visceral about the term environment than atmosphere. Atmosphere seems, I've been, you know, really glomming onto the meditation habit more and more lately or meditation practice more and more. Mm. And I've been using the waking up app from Sam Harris, who I think is, you know, I think of all the people that I've listened to when it comes to this stuff, he's the one that I kind of resonate with the most. But what's interesting is he want during the initial phases and the introductory portion of meditation, he talks about like feeling your body, but not in terms, try to feel its shape. And it's very, you can't, it's hard to do that because you can see its shape, but you can't feel the shape, right. Of, of your hand or your, your leg or whatever. But with environment, it's, this is the environment I'm in. There's a lot more, it's Mm. more tactile, more visceral. It also works with the acronym, which is quite, quite nice. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think environment, it's important because, you know, initially I was like, well, there is the environment around us, you know, that we can create obviously to support ourselves in that. But I realized it's actually bigger than that. It's the environment for our team. And there are things you need to do. And you're right, there is a practical element because like the shared rhythms, the 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 you know the agreements that we create within our team like the cadence, let's all agree the not to disturb each other on a monday morning when we're doing our strategic time for right example. right like the cadence and the pacing is part of that too a lot of people don't think about that in terms of uh most people think of that in terms of tactical but if if the team is a, there's a group dynamic you know and, right. and i and i love when um actually tweeted about this or an Instagram post about this earlier this morning. And I said, uh, as we record this and I said, you know, as a night owl living in a not night owl world, it's very hard for that 25 to 20 to 30% of us, whatever it is for people to go into a, an environment where it's geared towards the early riser or even the diurnal people. And you have to navigate it accordingly. But if your environment, if you have an understanding of it, and this this ties into all the four things that are part of your acronym, then as a leader, you can go and you talk about the different types of leaders. I don't want to spoil too much in the book. Let's keep that in mind. But the idea of a leader going in and, and asking and, and figuring out, communicating, hey, I recognize that you're better in the afternoons. So that's going to create, if you can cultivate an environment where people who you know have different body clocks can feel like they're able to contribute and not be um, forced to change, but to work within it, it makes things a lot, I mean, you're not going to lose them because there's some strengths that they have. So it's, but firefighting. Mm. So Mm. it drives me nuts. Uh, You, you didn't mention this part in it, but I love that you brought up the term firefighting and how people 
it becomes a badge of honor for some people. Yeah. Like this idea of like, I got, uh, I'm putting up fires. I'm putting up fires. Like they're a hero. Um, yeah. Here's the thing that, that I don't think a lot of people recognize is that when, when a house, when a building is burning or a forest fire is happening, yeah, they terrible. don't go in there willy nilly with like equipment. Like they're very strategic about their approach. Yeah. So right. if you're saying that you're firefighting, but you're doing it like, oh, I'm at, like scattershot. Right. That's not how a firefighter operates, right? <laughs> That's a great point. So, yeah. so let's, can you, I would love for you to dry point the home about firefighting as you bring it up in, in the book, because I think that it's an area, again, where people go, it's, it's, it's like the busy trap or, yeah. or, or the idea of busyness, right? Like it's all that stuff, but it, it managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash Productive Convo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. It's as if it's, again, there's a permission. Well, I'm fighting fire, so it's okay for me to not do these yeah. other things right yeah. now. Right. Yeah. In fact, the way I like to see it is that a lot of people say, oh, we you know I've got the whole Eisenhower matrix, you know, urgent versus important. And I get it. I need to spend my time in the urgent and important sure. um, uh, corner. And I'm like, well, actually, no, because that's, that's like, that's the firefighting corner. Like, yeah, it is urgent and important if your house is burning down or if there's a forest fire or something, but then like your house is burning down. That's, that's terrible, right? That's a terrible situation. Like, what? Be a fire warden, not you know, fire prevention officer, right? Uh, not a firefighter, like because if you're spending all your time fighting fires, like that's just terrible. Like, what's the next fire is going to burn down? You've just your house has burned down. Now your car's going to blow up. I mean, it's terrible, and yet we see it as this badge of, well, you know, everything's terrible, and I'm saving the day. And I hadn't picked up on that idea of actually, you're right. It's not just rocking and rolling with your uh, with your fire hose that's going to actually save the day. So, but, so my point is, I suppose, is that, you know, that, that seeing that as a badge of honor, you know, is, is a terrible thing. And that is a leadership as cultural thing. Very often the, the, the leaders are raised up because, oh, you know, great job. You did that. Whereas who gets celebrated and are you celebrating your team for working on the, the longer, yeah, the slightly longer term, the foundations, like for actually making sure they're creating something which is not going to catch fire. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, I think one we have one company, I think it's Hub, HubSpot, they have a, a, an idea of the 72-hour rule that if if we have to ask colleagues from different departments for, for surprise requests that aren't part of our business process that have a less than a 72-hour 70, lead time, like I need something for tomorrow, that is a business process failure. Yep. And yep. I think it's a great way of thinking about it. It's like one of the, you know, one of the CEOs um, I work with you know, has a phrase which is, if I if something comes to my desk that I have to change, if I that I can't just basically sign off on, there's been a business process failure. How come some decision has come to my desk that I can't just sign off on? 
that's you know I haven't had a chance perhaps to input my view earlier on, or there hasn't been enough due diligence, or I've not there's there's misalignment around strategy. That something's gone wrong, and I think it's the same in this whole area of firefighting. We need to kind of look at the root cause. So, one thing that that came to mind as I was going through the book was the idea of ego and the role that it plays in all of this to a degree, especially like you, you mentioned the the types of leadership. Uh, well, I definitely want people to pick up a book. Plus there's, there's supporting materials for the book too, that people can get, um, which we'll touch on in a little bit. But one thing that there's one, there's a couple quotes that stood out to me. Um, the first quote that I think was really powerful for me was the idea of you can't shift gears when your foot is pinned to the accelerator, right? So mm-hmm. the idea that, and this goes back to the initial talk about productivity, like people, people tend to, they don't slow down in order to make proper decisions. And in order to, I would imagine, and you've consulted a ton of people in order to make time for strategy, it does involve an element of slowing down or even pausing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have a little snail on my desktop, um, a little pewter snail just to remind me, slow down, Richard, because I can get, I can think fast. I can talk fast. I can act fast. I'm, I can be super productive, right? In, in the sense, kind of driving forward sense. And yet the breakthroughs come when you become deeply present with one person in front of you, when you become deeply present with yourself, yep. when you take a, when you get out in front of your computer, go somewhere else. And it can be so hard. I remember one of the projects I worked on when I was in the corporate world. I spent a day working on this thought leadership. Nobody was asking me for it. I was quite new in the company. I was like, should I even be doing this? I, by the end of the day, I felt really unproductive. Mm-hmm. I thought, I've spent this day. No one's asking for it. I've got this presentation and this thing, you know. Uh and it wasn't quite finished even at the end of the day. I don't, you know, what have I done? And I was like to say, you know, you can be productive or you can be creative. And this was a day of really creativity mm-hmm. as I was putting this stuff out, but it didn't feel productive. It didn't feel satisfying. I hadn't ticked it off. It wasn't all done. That day's work, I finished it off in a couple of hours the next day. It was a game changer for me in, the, in that company. I was, it, it got circulated at a very, very senior levels. Look at this. This comes out of my scenes. It's amazing, et cetera. Oh, this is great ideas. We should put them in front of our key clients. I was invited to customer days. All this stuff happened because I'd taken this day of kind of thinking and doodling and trying to come up with ideas based on some client work I had done, based on how can I extract the gems from this. And it was, my point is it didn't feel good, in fact, in the moment. No. Because sitting there with a blank piece of paper, trying something, not quite looking right, trying it again, that doesn't always, that's not what we're used to, right? We're used to going fast and seeing results. Well, and and, and that's the thing is I know you mentioned like you, you need to be creative instead of productive or something along those lines. But I know what you're getting at here is it's it's the, you need to understand that like if you do the creative stuff, that is a form of being productive. It, like you said, it just doesn't feel like it because it takes longer. It's harder, more challenging. It's harder. The other stuff screams mm. at you louder. Um, right. and, and, and what, what the ego wants to do is go, I need the approval. I need this. I need to get, I need to be feeding myself with achievement. 
And before we wrap up, the like, and there's lots of great nuggets in terms of quotes that you mentioned about reflection and action. And we could we could talk for a long time about a lot of the stuff <laughs> that's in this book. But there was one thing that I highlighted as I was making my way through the book that I that I wanted to make sure I came back to with you. And this is a thing that definitely relates to the ego, but it also I believe lends back to this idea of purpose over productivity or purpose mm. um, alongside or aligned with it. And you said put contribution ahead of popularity. Mm. And that to me is what I think one of the fundamental problems is, is that people are – the ego wants to please, mm. wants to yeah. show. And there's the quiet contributions that get made that – lead up that, 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 sorry, that add up to, you know, the results that you're getting. So if you focus on, again, service over, over praise or whatever, yeah. in this case, it's yeah. contribution over popular, which I like because contribution sounds like, you know, like you are delivering high value, you know, high value, uh, achievements, the stuff, activities, all those things that you talk about. Um, when you were thinking about that, that idea of contribution over popularity, how, how did that land with you when you, when you first like kind of came across that, whether mm -hmm. it was something that you would accumulated through working with clients, whether it was something that you modified from something you read, or if it was just like when you broke away from your desk that one day, it was like an epiphany right. type of thought, because I, yeah. I don't think people think about it. They'll think about, again, if I check off a bunch of boxes, that's, that's yeah. going to be contribution, but it may not be like, so it, it yeah. it's this, it's again, it leads itself to all the four things. So I'd love to like, as we get close, as we get close to closing off here, have some thoughts around that, because I think that that's a message that gets missed. Yeah. I think we often act because of, because of fear, uh, because of, you know, yeah, fear of loss, fear of our reputation, fear of not achieving, being successful, whatever, fear of not being seen as, whatever it is and yeah people pleasing you know is an example of like we're just looking at the person in front of us rather than the bigger picture right the bigger picture is there's people who are not in this conversation who have a call on our time and our energy and our impact um so you know you say yes to your boss and you're saying no to your family you're saying yes you know whatever it is so there's always these trade-offs and i think for me as i work with clients uh, and even looking at myself and my own business it's really important to say, you know what? It's like, at the end of the day, we're playing the long game here. And if we just focus on what is actually the highest value thing that I can bring to this situation, then I just be, that tends to just pay off in the long run, right? Because people can see what you're doing. Now, in the short run, you might occasionally take a hit on that. I don't think as much as you people think, but actually, you know, so if your highest contribution is standing up to the CEO and say, making your voice known, now he has the right or she has the right to reject what you're saying potentially, mm -hmm. yeah, fine. But perhaps your highest contribution is to stand up and say what you believe. Right, right. Your highest contribution is to push back on something which you believe is not in the biggest interest of the business. Now, if, if you're trying to do that because you're trying to optimize your own little KPI over here, where you're getting, where this year's bonus is attached to, fine, people see that and they realize, yeah, this person is not stepping into their full impact, their full yeah. role. You're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get perhaps the same promotion is, or whatever, or same opportunities as if you would actually say, let me optimize for the big picture 
and let me trust that actually that it's going to come out in the wash. And it can be hard for people. And I know different cultures can make it easier and harder to do that. But um, for me, that's the inner game. Are we coming at this from a place of contribution and self-leadership? Or are we coming at it from a place of kind of managing perceptions and fear and defensiveness? And what's interesting is I think if you follow that advice of putting contribution ahead of popularity, the popularity should follow. If you're doing it right. Right. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know, I mean, you may not be popular right. with everybody, but you're popular with the right people, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's exactly. only because you're, you're optimizing for what they're up to. I mean, you're thinking like the owner, that, that, you know, you're thinking about the big picture. Normally it's, we think too short term and we think too small scale. Yep. And as I said, when I wrote this book, I was always thinking, you know, I, I'm all about helping leaders change the world, make breakthrough opportunities. And I'm writing this book, which feels very like down here, the first step in the conversation. Mm -hmm. But I realized you can't have one without the other, because if you don't address the, the places where you're playing small and where you're actually just doing what people are telling you to do, for example, or what you think they need to do, you're never going to get to the other place. I say in the book, the, the project, you know, the most important project is the one that no one is asking you for. That's the strategy, right? That's the strategic part. It's the thing which no one's asking for. Like that project I did when I was in my corporate role, uh, that's the game changer. And so for me, the book's really trying to give people almost the, the there's mental tools, there's practical tools, but also that perspective to actually pursue that, right? Pursue those breakthroughs and not just get stuck in the comfort of doing what you did last week a little bit faster. And for for those that are going to pick up the book, which you will be able to, we'll get the the link in the show notes. Um, lots of framing inside of the framing of the initial acronym of time. There's a lot. If you're a fan of acronyms, there's there's something that's <laughs> going to help you in terms of frame because they are anchors, and I I love me some good acronyms. So, uh, Richard, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, you know, uh, where can people keep up with you, the work mm. you do, and where can people get the book? Yeah, so the book uh, is right now, it's just on Amazon. You can find that obviously by typing in Making Time for Strategy. You can go to makingtimeforstrategy.com and there's, you know, you'll get the full works there. There's, you know, there's a, you can watch the trailer video. For, you can, there's some bonuses um, available. There, there's a few things there. Uh, there's actually, the, that's where you can do the assessment as well. Um, Find me on LinkedIn. I, I try to write a value-added post every day. I'm fed up of most much of the LinkedIn is posturing and just sharing ran random links. I try to write something interesting and thought-provoking every day on LinkedIn. Uh, and my business website is xquadrant, uh, xquadrant.com, uh, where people can perhaps look me up as well. So um, I'll put some of those resources, actually, if you're interested. I'll put it at xquadrant.com slash a productive conversation. Sure. So if you go there, you better find the links to, to all those things. That'd be great. That'd be great. We'll put that link in the show notes. And, and Richard, thanks again for having a productive conversation with me today. Thank you, Mike. Thanks to Richard for joining me on the program. You can find all the show notes either by looking at the podcast app you're using now or go to productivityist.com slash podcast 471 while you're looking at your podcast app. Or even if you go to that particular URL, hit the subscribe button. That way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come. It also helps keep the lights on. And, you know, if you want to search through past episodes, the over 470 of them in the archives, subscribing is the simplest and fastest way to 
do that. Another way to support the show is to visit the sponsorship page that we have set up for sponsors that you would have heard on today's program. Head to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors to learn more. And when you check out the sponsors, let them know that we sent you. That's it for this episode. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.